0: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: It's it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. Your guide on the side. What
2: creates higher trust for you and the people around you? This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Relationships, they're tough, aren't they? And you would think it would just, it's just going to get easier if we divorced. But it, it really doesn't. It's it's hard. And again, I get to sit down every day with couples and, and have them talk through issues as they, as they need to make these decisions. And whether it's somebody that has narcissism, whether it's somebody with an addiction or a distraction, a, you know, a, another love interest in their relationship, every one of those things make it even more complicated. One of the keys, though, you got to know who you are. Really, Truly. You've got to have a pretty strong sense of self in a healthy way or you keep, you keep operating in your relationship out of fear. If we continually operate in our relationship out of fear, then all the party knows or the partner knows is that they need to make us more fearful. Fear isn't um, going to work. And I've noticed in some relationships, fear is, could be, for example, it could be the default that that they know for example i had a client recently that she she has her own issues her issues are simply because she doesn't know what she wants she doesn't know how to make it on her own financially she doesn't know what she needs she doesn't think she could survive on her own with without this partner that's being so mean to her so she stays in right so how and, but if she, when she, when they talk, she's always saying about how she doesn't dare say anything. She's too afraid to say something. So we give her a space to say something. And, um, what, what I found in, in the end is she struggled. She struggled deeply because a lot of what she was afraid of is that this narcissist would just take her to task and beat her down for the next, emotionally, for the next year she felt fear that she would lose her children and so one of the things i advise and and i think i it's for all of us is when you have that moment of fear part of it is we we've got to actually get the right data right because the data would show and information would show that if she's the mom 95% of the time is doing 95% of the things for the children then she should have some confidence in being the mother, that she's not going to lose her children. Even when the other person keeps saying, no, you could lose your children, you could lose your children. So one of the things I would just suggest for all of us to do is we must become more informed in our own relationships, and we must go deal with our insecurities. If your insecurity with your partner is that you can't make it financially, then right now, let's start working on that. What can you do to go be stronger financially? What can you do to start making sure you're getting ahead in that area? Because your insecurities make the storyline that you're the victim very easy, right? A lot of times with a the narcissist, they don't need to hurt you. They just don't, might not even care about you. So you may actually stay in the pattern of not being cared for simply because you're not strong enough to go. I have seen so many times when one person in that uneven relationship is strong enough to start to understand, holy cow, I'm dealing with a, I'm dealing with a narcissistic partner, and that you can start to see the pattern, and you start to get yourself strong emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually, financially, intellectually. Once you start getting strong enough, you no longer have to play the victim to the partner to your partner. So one of my goals when I coach people is to get you strong enough to make the hard decisions that you might not normally make. And when you turn that on and you start making with power those decisions, it changes the game because now you're no longer going to be the victim. It doesn't mean if you're dealing with a narcissist, you're not going to have a fight on your hands, but you'll be more realistic about how the fight's going to go down. You'll be more informed about what your rights are and what you can do and what you can't do. So the key, one of the great antidotes, I think, is not to fight the narcissist or not to fight the other person as much as recognize the pattern, see what's going on, and you yourself start to get rid of your own fears. Get more educated, get more skills, get more tools, get more financial support. Go bring your family in to let them help support you and get strong enough because as soon as you're strong enough, then it's going to change the game. It's going to change the game. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be a fight, because there probably will be. But it also means you'll be strong enough to handle the fight. Anyway, that's the coach's corner, folks. Strength comes in knowledge and information, not just in uh, arguing the loudest and being the strongest, right, physically.
0: You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show.
2: We've been talking about the pros and cons of a four-day work week. I don't know. I I would love it. But... Again, it's happening already. More and more people are getting their own careers. They're becoming their own boss. It's a weird day and age when it comes to business. And so one of the things I guess I would just challenge all of us to do is go. You're no longer bound to just have to choose the jobs that are out there. I mean, I I kind of invented my own job, which is now an amalgam of four jobs but. When I started, there was no such thing as coaching for marriages and relationships. It didn't exist. But I always knew I wanted to somehow work with couples and help people learn to talk. Ever since my parents divorced as a kid, I thought, I want to help people learn to talk. And I could never figure out what job that was. So some people would say, oh, that's, you know, that's a lawyer. And so I started thinking, oh, let's go to law school. And I got into that and I'm like, they're not helping people talk. They're kind of helping people fight. They're talking for people. Okay, so that's not it. Then everyone else is like, that's therapy. So I went into therapy and I learned about Freud and I'm like, that dude's weird. And then I – that wasn't working. So then you can go into speech therapy. I found out that's not – that's for people with speech impediments and problems. It didn't exist. The job didn't exist. And so sometimes you're ahead of your time but i just kind of kept studying and figuring out what i loved what i liked got into interpersonal communication I remember taking a class in at the university and thinking oh this is the greatest this is everyone needs to take this class the the reality then i found out a little bit later is that nobody will pay for their relationship skills until their relationship is bleeding you know it's like nobody pays just for preventative help at the doctor usually. Very few people go there preventatively. You don't necessarily go to the nutritionist to just get a really good diet until usually you've had a heart attack. Then you're like, I need a nutritionist that can help me get a good diet. So because we're so reactive, no one historically would pay for help. So then I decided I'll become a mediator and I became a divorce mediator helping couples that were divorcing. I I taught them how to talk and mediate. And right then, it dawned on me, people will pay when they're in pain, and I figured out how you can make a job out of it. But now, ironically, 10 years, the last 10 years, the coaching world has taken off. Now there's executive coaches, there's real estate coaches, there's coaches that can help you in any profession. There's a, you know, there's just, there's somebody now that can do that. So we're in a day and age where what used to happen and what you used to be able to do, you can now do. The technology's there where you can do it all on your MacBook. You can make your PowerPoints in such an incredible way and do graphics and you can have your own production company all because you have a camera, even an iPhone and a MacBook. There's, there's fewer and fewer obstacles except the biggest obstacle is our head. Do you think you can have it? Do you think you can get ahead? And by the way, even if you're a blue-collar kind of worker versus white-collar, we always seem to be thinking that this is a white-collar advantage, right? If, you, if you're like in the executive C-suite, sure, you can do some of this stuff. But it's not just for the white-collar. Glenn, I think you could probably – you can go start your own thing. I don't have the money to start your own thing. Well, guess what? There are a ton of organizations that will help you. Go to your local community colleges and there's business incubators at every single community college now. There's, there's places where you can go in with a business idea and the, and the actual universities or community colleges will help you make your businesses and your business goals come true. They'll even give you space to rent. They'll even bring you in coaches that will coach you through stuff. And there's, there's, uh, there's other scholarships and other tools and grants that you can get. As a female, as a minority, there's so many other opportunities. So if you have a dream to make uh, your own life yours, then let's do it. Let's do it. But don't give up and don't just roll over. And if you want more time for your family, let's do it. Honestly, we you have the ability, but you got to make it a priority. And we can't just keep drinking the Kool-Aid from 30 years ago. The five-day work week may not jive and may not be appropriate for the remainder of our lives. We're advancing in technology. We could easily advance in our work schedule. Let's push on our bosses a bit. I'd love to see it happening more, if, especially if it's going to get you some freedom and some time to go be with your family and take care of the relationships you love the most. Okay? Don't give up on your dreams, folks. They're there.
0: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. Uh,
2: And again, I'm a big believer that many of us need therapy, I guess, but maybe more of us just need information. We need the tools. We need education. And that's not always easy to get. Um, So one of the things, no matter what you're doing, there are a ton of resources online to manage depression. And pretty much everywhere you go, you're going to be able to either – Get medicine I mean that 's the easiest thing really nowadays to get are some meds to deal with depression, but invariably anytime you 're on the meds, you should also be taking classes, skills so you can build the skills to manage your depression as well i'd also talk to anybody you go to about the ability to uh, learn how to do other things so we can eventually come off medicine. Um, sometimes medicine might be a, a pretty quick way to fix a problem quickly if it's if it 's pretty serious. But I'm also a big believer, let's let's get off the meds if we can, and if we can't, let's minimize some of the, the use of the meds if we can as well. So remember, there's resources out there, but every one of us are going to be battling something, and if it's not you, it will be your spouse or it will be your children or it will be your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law or your grandchildren. We've all got to learn a little bit more about mental health. That's one of the big issues we're seeing just simply with some of the tragedies that have happened that uh, the German wings crash. You know, mental health is something that we have to be able to talk about. And we, we can't keep the stigma going uh, for mental health. It's it truly is in our churches, in our neighborhoods. It needs to be something we can mention and, un, and understand without the judgment. I mentioned earlier that I, I had a client whose spouse just thought it was just pure weakness. You know, anybody with character can just dig down and hammer through a little depression. <sighs> no, that's great. Until you have it, right? Until you have it. Until you lose your job and then you're feeling some situational depression and you feel like a failure. So figure it out for yourself. If you also know that you have some issue going on, attention deficit, whatever, anxieties, depressions, mood disorders. Please go start uh, gathering the data and the information you need. Once you're less ignorant, then we start to build a plan about it. How is how is this impacting me? How is it impacting my family? And usually, you'll never find a perfect fit. Right? There's not going to be this one piece of the puzzle that perfectly fits in and fixes uh, that that you know that vessel. So what we need is maybe a mix of five or six or ten different plans in order to create a customized piece. The problem is is I can't customize the piece for you. No one can because eventually you're the only one that's going to be reading your emotions. You're the one that has to figure out what you are feeling and how, how it's impacting you. So the sooner we get on this, the better. And one reason I would seriously attack uh, your mental health issues because those are issues that are going to be handed down because the generations before us didn't talk about mental health as much as our current generations are, we didn't know that we had a ticking time bomb inside of us. We didn't know that we had this depression. We didn't know that we had anxiety that kept us away from doing things that were social or whatever. We didn't know we had this. But you do. And if you now know it, you can actually start, I firmly believe, to educate and to inform yourself, to figure out your diet, your sleep, to figure out the whole code So that it impacts you less. Then you can teach your children how to do the same thing. This is where the traditions of the fathers can be handed down in a positive way. In a positive way. Same way if you know you have diabetes running in the family or cancer issues, then this is where we need to hand down the skills, hand down the tools. And again, that's why we do the show, to give you those ideas and the tools. So keep listening and podcast it. If you, if you like today's show or any show, go grab it on a podcast, take the link, and forward it on to somebody. We're on iTunes. We're on TuneIn. You can go to BYUradio.org. We're everywhere, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to broaden your mind as we uh, help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we live in a constantly changing world. The only constant we do have, though, is that we can always expect trials and hardships to come. We also always will have a choice for how we handle those But it all doesn't have to end with the difficulties of life. Even when you've hit a low point, you know, that might include a divorce, unemployment, loss of a loved one or sickness, whatever it may be, our next guest, Marcel Schwantes, founder of leadership from the core, is here with us this morning to teach us how we can take these hard parts of life and use them to reinvent ourselves for the better. Marcel Schwantes, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Good to be here. Thank you,
2: Matt. This is, I think, a cool subject we need. We talk about life is hard. We hear it in the news. We watch the political process that just seems like a, I don't know, a bad nightmare sometimes. And all of a sudden, life gets heavy. But you've put together uh, for Inc. Magazine 10 Timeless Habits that will change our lives right now. Did you learn these just consulting with people from your leadership program?
3: I learned these, Matt, as a result of having made so many mistakes. In fact, I referenced that in, uh, in the first paragraph, I believe, where the, the most horrendous uh, uh, um, uh, thing that happened in my life was a divorce. Yeah. Right? I think you mentioned it. And out of that uh, situation, I had to reinvent myself. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I wanted to be a better person because all of the decisions leading up to that point uh, were about um, self-gratification, it was all about me not not being a person of service or thinking about the you know uh, other people so i was uh, probably the most arrogant person i knew at that time so i knew that i had to i had to figure out a way to um get out of this mindset that was all about serving me and serving my needs and so as i read and um and and studied and obviously picked up a few degrees along the way and some certifications i realized hey, i'm missing the mark here i need to i need to I need to get with the program, and so I began to um, to put together just kind of a, a a template for living the life that I wanted, and some of it came out in that Incarnacle. article.
1: That's
2: great. I mean, and if if they just could take one idea, it's it's a great, I think, you know, breakthrough for any of us. And in fact, I challenge all of us that as we're listening. Which one of these could stand out that we could do immediately? Start this second today to start doing. Marcel, walk us through some of your points um, and why they matter so much. I guess the first one is we need, especially, I love the idea, when you're down and you just are cornered and you can't, you feel stuck, uh, number one, choose to live in peace. Talk about that.
3: Yeah. uh, Well, peace is, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, Matt, and so I am... you know, I'm I'm in a, a, a startup mode for my business, and so in getting a launch going and chasing after investors, um, you know, you tend to want to compare yourself with other entrepreneurs that are further down further down the path, and and so in to live in peace for me as a business owner, uh, first and foremost. Is not to compare myself, okay, with uh, with you know what's 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 what are the other Joneses doing, right? Yeah. Um, and so living in peace is just focusing on myself and my own path, because that's what's going to and, and believing in myself that the path that I'm headed down is and, and where I am today is exactly where I should be, um, because once you start to compare yourself and you start to doubt your own ability, you start to doubt. Uh, uh, where you should be in life, and, and, and that just kind of derails you from the path of peace. Right, so yeah. That's
2: number one. Well, I mean, it seems like you start, it's so easy to have that comparative mentality where you're looking at the other people your age or in your industry, and you're thinking, oh, man, why are they getting that break? I've been fighting for that break forever. It, it, and you become so comparative that you can't sit in the space you've been given, the space you are.
3: Right, right. And so in, in, in living in peace, it, it kind of it helps you to stick to the plan and, and keep moving forward towards, you know, towards attaining your vision. Yeah.
2: Another idea then, I guess, is trusting the process. Uh, is yeah. that the process of life?
3: You know, it's funny is that when, when you live in peace, obviously uh, the peace allows you to trust in the process, not only of life, but whatever your current situation is. I talk about surrender as a, a word that uh, a lot of Taipei's don't like because it comes across as weak? Like, surrender to what? I mean, come on, do, am I giving up all of a sudden? No, the surrender that I'm talking about is just kind of uh, just surrender yourself to the moment, to the outcome, and just believe in the process. What, for, so for me, is believe in the process that I'm exactly where I should be and that, um, you know, the business is going to take off and that uh, I'm going to uh, find... You know, venture capitalist um, money eventually down the line. If you know, if that if that's what the where the process takes me, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is just to surrender to the outcome because, believe me, the opposite of that is uh, is is, <laughs> is a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress that you don't want to take on. Mm.
2: Oh. Especially, I look in your industry. I mean everybody's fighting they're fighting for the next buck they're fighting for the next advantage so great advice i guess in a business world but really i can even see in in my own personal life with my own family you know trusting the process of where i am and what i'm going through live happy is another idea you give us um again how do we how do we get happy marcel when life's not handing us happiness
3: it's always a choice, Matt. It's always a choice. But, um, I, I talk about the, the, the studies that have been coming out that you, you choose your path, whether you, uh, y- even when things are down and you're going kind of a, you know, the chips are down, you're going against the grain. Uh, if you choose to get up in the morning today and you tell yourself, today I choose to live happy. And then you create, um, you create your day around, uh, things, activities, um, conversations, um, whatever it is that are going to cause you to feel good about yourself. Um, so I mentioned the things in, in in living happy. Use the tools of meditation, prayer, journaling, right? And of course, the the mindfulness movement is so popular right now, right? Because it kind of, it helps you to kind of stay in the moment and not worry about tomorrow, next week, or a year from now, and just to kind of stay present to what your current situation is because sometimes uh, we tend to blow things out of proportion when it's not that bad when you compare yourself to uh, you know to uh, um, the worst-case scenario and, and what uh, the things that are happening around the world and when you focus just on okay where I am right now you know it's, it could be a, it could be a lot worse so that comes by choice is to choose to be happy and then, and then create. And and so what happens is when you choose to be happy, good things start to come, come back your way. Hmm. So there's a, uh, there's a, a return on your choice to live happy.
2: Yeah. And and it seems like once, once you've kind of reached that level personally, you want to now take it to your relationships. And you mentioned the need to, to move to have great relationships as well.
3: Well, that, uh, you know, the, the, The studies coming up, uh, I I reference the Harvard study of adult development where they followed for 75 years, they followed um, about 724 men in the 1930s throughout the course of their lives, career, marriage, divorce, parenthood, etc., and the response from one of the original directors of the study, who is, by the way, is in the 70s now himself, and he says that the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. And, and when you studied about the benefits of great relationships, and I'm not talking about quantity, by the way. I'm talking about the quality of your relationships, right? It's been proven that people actually live longer, live happier. Um, those that are, are nearing the age of 50 right now, if you are surrounded by a great community of friends and family that uh, you're well-connected and you're, you, know, you, you have a, a strong social um, network, by the time you hit eighty, you're going to be um, you're going to be experiencing better health than those people that kind of are isolated or feel lonely at the age of fifty. Hmm. So, absolutely has tremendous benefits. So start forming those relationships now if you're in your forties and fifties uh, because you're going to live a long life.
2: Yeah, wow. I mean, that's it's true. Your gut kind of tells you that the people matter, but who would have known that it would have such an impact on us. Again, we're speaking with Marcel Schwantes, who wrote an article for um, Inc.com. If you uh, just look up Marcel Schwantes and Inc.com, you'll get right to the article. We're going to take a break, come back, and continue this discussion um, and let you learn more about uh, uh, Mark's work also from leadership from the core and uh, some of his servant leadership program and development. We'll take a break. We'll be right back helping you live a healthier life, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. friends to the Matt Townsend Show. And today we're talking with Marcel Schwantes, who wrote an article, 10 Timeless Habits That Will Change Your Life Right Now. He wrote it for Inc.com. You can check it out on Inc.com. And uh, it's really, a lot of it just comes from his own personal experiences, but also his work at leadership from the core. Uh, Marcel, welcome back to the show. Thank you again for being with us.
3: Good to be here. Thank you.
2: One of the things you mentioned in your article um, is at some point you got to give back, and and choosing to give is something that it's one of those timeless habits that we could do right now, and it would immediately inject you know some I guess joy, happiness back in our lives.
3: Yeah, and uh, we have to first we have to get out of the um, sort of the, the 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 stigma of giving is that it, it's attached to money, and that well I don't have any money, how can I give? Well, right. we we can give. So much uh, outside of, uh, you know, of, of money, for example, is there a person that you can mentor that you can give your time to and perhaps to teach somebody something new, a skill? Um, uh, is there a, a cause that you can support, you can that you can give of your time, say, to volunteer at a shelter, for example, or support a cause? Um, and, and basically, it's giving is to have a pay-it-forward mentality, right? That's a yeah. mindset. That's a mindset that we choose. To, to do, to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a giver today. In fact, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I get to go to a lot of networking events. And uh, there's something uh, unusual about most networking events. If you've been to, you know, like a chamber of commerce, for example, people show up with their business cards. And it's more of a what, what uh, Adam Grant in his book, Give and Take, calls the, uh, uh, the matchers, right? You show up with your business card, you, you hand your business card, and you get one back. This, it's kind of a matching thing, right? Scratch your back, I'll scratch yours. You're expecting something in return. Well, in giving, there's another, um, another uh, form of giving, and this is really profound. A guy by the name of Adam Rifkin is an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur out in the Silicon Valley, and he started something called the Five-Minute Favor. Hmm. And the Five-Minute Favor also is also um, uh, documented in uh, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, by the way, if you want to pick up a copy. But um, Five-Minute Favor is basically showing up to a networking event and giving something without any expectation of return coming back at you. And so it can be, say, a, a Five-Minute Favor where you uh, connect somebody um, to somebody, you make an introduction. Or you write a quick review of someone's book, Um, you know, or just uh, you know, or even uh, critique somebody's resume. So it's 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 giving a a selfless act basically, and these five minute favors are popping up now, um, and all over the country. And what's happening is people are coming, and 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 it's it's becoming so popular. And what they're finding is that those people that give, um, even without expecting anything in return the return is going to be even higher in the long term. So they're going to experience even more success by giving without expecting anything mm. back.
2: Yeah. And it almost seems like this gets to your deeper core, the, the deeper person that you are. You're deeper than your business that you're selling to, you know, at these, at these events. Instead, let me just connect with you one-on-one person to person.
3: Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, it helps to foster sort of that, Servant leadership mentality yeah. that um, that we're we're hopefully going to be touching on in a, in a few minutes here. In fact, but, um, talk yeah, get it, uh, to
2: that because that's part of what I see is, as I look at some of your final um, uh, points. Um, ch- mm-hmm. Choose compassion and kindness. Choose to have faith. Choose the good fight. Mm-hmm. Make decisions full of integrity. These are th- these are kind of virtues, right? These are th- I guess they're not always seen as. Business principles per se, but these are things that you're saying will immediately drive you to some state of happiness.
3: It's uh, that's true. In a state of happiness, whether in your personal life or uh, in your business right, life, right? They work know, there too. Right, and and so the these as you as you as we round out here the last five, um, they're really tenants of a servant leader, somebody that puts the needs of others first. Obviously, if you're going to exercise compassion and kindness. It's not about you, right? right. Um, and uh, in fact, I, I want to reference something that uh, I saw recently. Um, you know, Sean Acker is the best-selling author, and he's that uh, scientist that sat down with Oprah and basically told her um, the uh, five steps to, to, to kind of train your brain to become more positive. And he told Oprah that one of the things that people do, that uh, according to his research, obviously, this is, you know, there's uh, empirical evidence here to suggest that you you can become happier by doing this every day. And he says, express compassion and kindness. Basically, all it takes is for two minutes a day, you write a text or write an email uh, praising or thanking someone you know. And that's it. And you do it you know, hmm. for a different person each day. And what Sean Acker is saying, and, you know, and he, he says this in his wildly popular TED Talk, by the way, you can look it up. He says that people who do this Become known as positive leaders with strong social connect connections, and it's it's the the greatest predictor of long term happiness. Wow! So it comes from extending that kindness kindness and that compassion. And hey, you can start today by doing it two minutes a day. <laughs> so, isn't
2: that, that easy? Strange. It's I guess I guess that's what I love about this um, because it's the simplest solution, and and it works, and it's almost intuitive. You can think. By just writing that letter, or you know, by just serving that person for a few minutes, it's it's going to make them. It's going to deepen a connection, but it will also simultaneously make your life better, more fulfilling.
3: Yes, Richard. Tra- transfer that to the workplace here in the management role. Um, it works even wonders because this is how you value your employees, and in return, they're going to give you their best effort. They're going to show up with their best work.
4: Talk
2: about your – one of the points is make decisions in full integrity. One of the things we see going on in the political race of presidency, a lot of people not trusting the two, the two leaders. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about integrity and trust and, and, and what does that do to you personally? Like why is, why is this a motivator that will immediately change me?
3: Yeah, you know it's uh, the the old saying is the, the integrity is uh, is doing the right thing even when nobody's looking, right? So right. it gives you, it, it's basically acting acting in integrity uh, is acting according to your values, and and so honesty is obviously a big one for me. Honesty, authenticity, being able to show up with your with your feelings, right? If you if you um, if if you don't agree with something, you need to express that disagreement in a respectful way. But what integrity does is that it allows you to live in – you have a clear conscience. By, by walking in integrity, you're walking the talk, right? Mm-hmm. People, don't, people don't question your motives. Um, they know that you don't uh, – uh, you're not uh, out to manipulate or, or take advantage, right? And so that's what a person of integrity does. And this is especially applicable in, in a leadership role. You, you can't be a leader without integrity because leadership is all about character and influence. Yeah. So those those things are all wrapped up in integrity.
2: It, and it, it sells the message, right? And, and it makes it easier. If you have that integrity, people trust what you're saying more, I guess, instantly than if they have to kind of work through all of the other stuff they know
3: about you. That's usually the case, Matt, is that the, the, the people that respond to the best leaders are the ones that they can trust. And yeah. integrity goes hand in hand with that.
2: That's powerful. Um, talk a little bit more about the steward leadership and 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 the concept of that. I, I we talk about that a lot in my church about uh, you know the, we have a stewardship of the land of our family and it's kind of it's a it's it's a different approach to leading. It's not so domineering,
3: right? Well, servant leadership. Um, you know, it's, it's it's certainly not a. A new concept, it's not a, a new, it, there's no, right. um, you know, not a big business lingo. It's, it goes back for centuries. I mean, if you, you you want to reference servant leadership, you can go back to the, the world's major relig- religions talk about servant leadership. You know, as far back as, you know, in, in Christian terms, uh, Christ uh, washing the feet of, of his disciples mm. was an e- example of servant leadership. But how does that translate to the modern culture uh, in, in the modern workplace? Well, let me flash forward to 1970, a guy by the name of Robert Greenleaf um, studied what was happening in the workplace. Uh, in his, at that time, he was he was an executor for AT and T, and over the course of about 30 to 40 years, he came up with all of the behaviors that um, the best leaders had, and then wrote a book about an essay actually, and uh, and described. That all of these all of these things that the, that re- employees are responding to, um, the the leader that was a good coach and a good mentor, um, the leader that respected you and, and encouraged you, those were and back you know this is back in the 40s, 50s, and sixties um, translated to people that were actually serving, and in serving they they served and they led. So there's that paradox. Yeah. Right? But they were. They serve first, and then that pointed them to great leadership, and the people responded. And so he started. You know, he wrote a book, and now uh, when you, I mean, when you think about leadership as a whole, Matt, um, I don't even, I, I don't even use servant leadership as a as a term because it kind of um, it's still counterintuitive, and, uh-huh. and you know, people question uh, the servant part, right? Yeah. That, that it's it's too weak, and it's you know, it's doormat material, et cetera. So. But what's happening is that when you look at the tenets of servant leadership that Greenleaf researched and talked about, that's just making the case for awesome leadership today, right? right, right. So a servant, a servant leader is a great listener. Well, the best and most powerful leaders um, that get people to trust him, they are excellent leaders, right? Um, the, the, the servant leader that uh, shares, shares his or her power You'll find that now in the best cultures, where employees are engaged because they have a voice and they can ex- express their voice without without the fear of being reprimanded, right? Mm-hmm. To, to to provide input and ideas. This is what a great leader does does today. He invites in those different perspectives from a from from diverse ideas from different people, personalities, gender, whatever, right? Age, etc. I mean, we're Right now, millennials are now the the, the, the biggest segment of, of our our population is composed of, of millennials, so we have to adapt a little bit to to the millennial mindset as well and invite them into the conversation and give them a seat at the table right um, and then groom them to become future leaders as well so that's what those are all things that that um, I would make a case to say that that the, the best of leaders do today. And Greenleaf was talking about it 30, 40 years ago. Yeah.
2: Isn't that, again, it's it's so principle-based that that uh, it's, I guess it will always kind of stand the test of time. Um, talk about, as we wrap this up, I always like to ask the one thing. So if mm. If we've talked about 10 different points plus many more, and if there's one thing that we could just do today, every one of us, simple, basic, what would you say is the one thing that would make, the biggest change in your life right now
3: uh for me i think that it just speaks to my personal uh vision and my personal goals in life and but, but that is to give um i you know the giving part uh, yeah. the whole purpose uh for me to establish a business is to create enough wealth to give back to pay it forward and 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 our my wife and i have this personal mission where um we want to fight the and and help to end the sex trafficking problems that we see across the country and i'm in i'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we have a here we have a problem with that here in our own backyard and so obviously we want to support the causes that that fight uh, uh sex trafficking and human trafficking so no. That's, that, that is a whole purpose for creating wealth through our different businesses and ventures is to be able to give back towards that cause. That's
2: beautiful, and I, I love the cause as well. So uh, we'll have to get you back on, Marcel. We'll keep watching your latest uh, writings as well. And I guess is the best place for them to get a hold of you at leadershipfromthecore.com?
3: That's it, leadershipfromthecore.com, or you can find me on Inc., like you mentioned.
2: That's it. Marcel Schwantes, thank you so much for your great work. Keep it up.
3: My pleasure. Thank
2: you. Again, go check them out on Inc.com as well or LeadershipFromTheCore.com. There's power, folks, and little steps, simple things, and they seem sometimes just like too easy. But why aren't we doing them if they're so easy? Well, I tried it. It didn't work. I tried giving, and it just didn't work. Come on. Then give more. Eh. We'll take a break, folks. Come back to a little Coach's Corner. We've also got to get to our hero of the day. A lot going on. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
3: I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
0: Play
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little coach's corner for you. Uh, you, you sitting there, you listening in your car, wherever you are, what, what's the one thing that, you know, you need to do the one thing that has been, ah, just chasing you. If I just, I just got to do this one thing. Once I'm in shape, this is going to happen. Once I, uh, once I'm a better dad, this is going to happen. We have these ideas. We carry them with us for years. Then all of a sudden, boom! You you can't fix certain things. The heart attack. I really should have been exercising. <laughs> Blasted! It's it's a big deal, folks. And all of us are battling life. It's you know I don't ever want you to get depressed because of, we keep bringing you things you can do. You don't even need to do it, but you could do something. Just do the thing, the one thing that, you know, if you would just do it, it would it would have an impact. Well, I can't. I've tried to start an exercise program. You don't even need to try to start an exercise program. Just go start doing an exercise program. You don't need to build up a really intense program. You don't need to. You don't need to, you know lose weight and start you don't need to buy a scale you don't need to do all that just whatever's on your list I really need to call my kids but it's so hard to call them because they make me always feel so bad All right. so why do you keep being prompted to call your kids I'm a big believer that uh, the answers are already in you I don't when I work and coach somebody I don't need to um to make up new things for them to do. Lao Tzu, one of my favorite quotes, is at the center of your being, you have the answer. At the center of your being, you know who you are and you know what you want. So the center of you knows. Maybe your heart knows, but your head tells you something different. Your heart tells you, you just need to focus on family. Your head might be telling you, but I, I can't because I'll get behind in my career. Your heart might tell you, don't worry about weight. Worry about health. But your head's like, I don't know. I've already gained 10 pounds and I look horrible next to Stacy who went to high school with me. And then your, your head carries you away. Your heart already knows who you are. I call that your essence, right? The essence of who you are already knows that you're amazing, phenomenal, incredible. But then we get caught up in our ego, and our ego's like, you got to beat everybody. You got to be faster. And if you're not going to be faster, then you need to label yourself as incredibly slow with no hope. Roadkill. So our egos make us either be better than everybody or worse than everybody. Ugh. But your heart gets that, you know, you're good. Your heart gets that there's stuff you should be doing, but it also knows why you're not. It doesn't bring you peace, though. So your peace is only going to come by living in your essence. Your peace won't come long term by living in your head because you're only as good as your head is good. And your head's going to change every time the lady next to you loses a pound. You're going to need to lose a pound if that's how you measure. If you measure by wealth, then as soon as your neighbors inherit more money or earn more money or triple their income or buy a bigger house, your head says, see, you're a loser. And your ego kicks in. Meanwhile, your essence doesn't care if you're in a big house or a little house. Your essence just cares that you're connected to God, that you are connected to family, and that you're becoming better at who you are supposed to be. Basic, right? Basic. So be careful. As we as we go through life, it's it's every one of us. We're chasing we're chasing the illusion, we're chasing the dream, we're chasing the stuff that's really not even what we're about, and we'll get entirely exhausted in the chase. And eventually I'm worried that some of us will get too tired to chase anymore. But we'll find ourselves you know, climbing that ladder of success one rung at a time, we finally get to the top and we realize the ladder's against the wrong wall. We've become something we didn't even care about becoming. So just watch it. So ask yourself this one question. What is the one thing, not big, just what's the first step I need to take today and go take that step? What is it to become the change? A little bit of the change. We'll take a break. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more
0: tools right here on BYU Radio. You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
5: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Uh, it's, It's these interruptions that are there
2: to teach you the lessons we need to live.
0: Your guide on the side. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend
2: we talk about uh, loving families and we've got to build families and you may even do and and believe strongly in your family that, you know, one of you uh, needs, needs to stay home and be with the family and raise your family. And there's a lot of pressure to, to how do you make ends meet when, like we heard earlier, it's really hard without a dual income to make ends meet. Um, So at some point we have to we have to really co parent. We have to learn to to be together as parents um, on our family issues. I see a lot of parenting issues dividing couples up and we fight about things, we fight about chores and we fight about discipline and we fight about everything, right? So at some point we need to we need to figure out how to how to work better together. And I wanted to give you some ideas um that uh that, that might help as we, as we go through life. One idea that I think is super important is if, if it's not working in your family, if you don't feel like you're working really well together, um, as a, as a partnership, one of my, I, I mean, a lot of times we would just blame one partner, you know, he's not helping out, she's not helping out. But one of the things that I teach, and it's, it happens to be one of my favorite, um, Quotes because just symbolically, I think it, it means a lot. It says uh, the, the quote is simply that all systems reflect their creator. Okay, so if a system is really one sided, then um, it, there may be a, the issue may not be just willingness from everyone else. It may be that whoever's creating the system has created it in a one sided way. And an example of this is simply. Um, If you notice that no one else around the house helps, is there something you are doing that might be enabling others to not help? Uh, for example, have you made it so that the level of, of quality for what has to be done can really only be accomplished by you? Or at least it could only be accomplished by you in the beginning. For example, how you clean a dish, how you uh, wash something – um, is it just – have you gotten to the point that it's just easier for you to do it yourself than to not let others do it because they don't seem to do it right? Um, and so – but think about that because almost inevitably when I see somebody who has nobody helping around the house, many times I see that same person being a perfectionist. And nobody in the house feels like they can do it to your level. They don't. They, they've been critiqued so many times, there's too much intensity about it, um, or there's fear about how they can get it done. So start to ask yourself, what are you doing or not doing to enable you or your partner to not be as involved in the parenting?
0: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
2: What are you thinking that might make it easier to just do it yourself rather than having your partner participate? what did you do uh, uh parenting a newborn that is nif different now than the how you need to parent your teens i mean a lot of times we might hand more over to the mother of the newborn because she's feeding the baby she's she might you know have the baby on her hip more so she ended up doing more but when we move into teendom and older kids and toddlers and adolescents things change and so is there a way that we we can actually make that transition do you have certain expectations that your spouse just doesn't meet? And uh, do you keep bringing those expectations up? Do you have anxiety about uh what needs to be done, how it needs to be done? One of my rules is whoever cares the most, whoever has the most, you know, energy, anxiety, frustration issue about something, really I think should be the owner of it. If 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 you have more anxiety about how something needs to be than I do, then you probably ought to own it so that you can, you know, go manage it the way you want to manage it. But what gets harder is where you have a lot of the issue or anxiety or frustration from it, and um, and you you need to get me involved. That's where we need to start having conversations. Another rule is we got to get on the same page, right? Nothing is more uh, important to co parenting than than communicating. <laughs> and making that work where we start to have some discussions some questions some things we ought to be discussing is what kinds of parents do you guys really want to be and go talk about it what roles do you do you want to play do you do you want to just we i think a lot of us just default to you know typical kind of stereotypical roles dad does the outside stuff mom does the inside stuff but, I mean, you may live in a day and age where those roles don't work for your family anymore. So what do we? What roles do we need to play? And what are you guys actually willing to sacrifice? You might even want to create a little ranking process where we can rank how we're doing as parents in our areas on a scale from 1 to 10. Rank how well you're both doing as the, the kind of parent you want to be. Sometimes when you measure it, you actually notice we're a little bit off. And then have more and more discussions about – how to be and how to improve our co-parenting skills. If, if we want to be better co-parents, we can do it. We just have to do it uh, in a way that um, we're actually intentionally focused on it. We don't need to. We don't need more excuses. We don't need more uh, reasons to blame somebody. What we need is we need to put the co in
0: it. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Here's the deal. If you really want to learn, we're going to do the Coach's Corner here, and I'm going to give you some real things to go do. Other than video gaming. I mean, video gaming, good for visual learning. But if you really want to learn, here's some things you ought to work on. Numero uno. You might want to find, and this is a really cool activity. Go learn how you influence and use your character, right? So go out and do you, for example, just think out there in listener land. Do you know what your your character strengths are? If somebody asked you, what are you really good at when it comes to your character? do you know what you do you know what, where you thrive? do you know where you excel? Because I might spend some time, I mean video games are great, don't get me wrong, but you might also want to understand your own character, your own integrity, your own uh, hard work, your own loyalty, your own dedication, perseverance, all of these character traits that matter. Do you know what yours are? and do you know what matters? most to you. There's a great website uh, you got to go check out by a guy named Martin Seligman called Authentic Happiness. And in that website, you can go in and take an assessment and find out what your character strengths are. I highly suggest you do that. Now, you could go play video games. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You could. But you might also want to go take some time and just identify of all of the, the character strengths that exist What are the ones where you're magnifying your most abilities, your skills? Where do you thrive when it comes to your character? And in his research, uh, Mr. Seligman has – Dr. Seligman has actually talked about when we focus on our character, we tend to be happier. So go find out what your character strengths are, hard work, integrity, loyalty, social intelligence – what are the things that you're bringing to the dance? And then a really fun exercise that you can do once you kind of have figured that out. Start identifying every day some examples where you are influencing and using your character strength. Now, Jimmy Crackcorn, he's already asking me the question. I know it. I'm not even, even going to look at him, but I know he's asking it. Hey, can I use that on my video game? Sure, I guess. Use your hard work to go get better at video gaming. Use your integrity to be loyal to your team in a, bit, a fight against Martians or aliens. Sure. Do it. Most importantly, though, just go learn about your own character. Okay, So if we're talking learning, I'd go learn about my character. Another thing that you might want to do that's it's just really strange. In, instead of video games, you might want to go read a book. Just saying. A life-changing book. There's so many out there. We have so many authors on this show. If you don't know of a, of a good book, just go back and look through our archives at uh, byuradio.org, and you can just, you'll see a million different topics. Pick one. We'll have an author on there. I mean pretty much every show we'll have one author on. I have certain books in my life that I've read changed my life forever. We'll never be the same. And uh, it doesn't even have to just be like a self-help type of book. There was, um, there's just a lot of different books that can change your life, right? And so it doesn't matter what it is, but go find a book and maybe spend some time. You could play video games, not saying video games are bad. I'm just saying you could also read a book. Uh, Here's another one that you could do. Now, again, you can play video games, but you might want to just go break one frustrating habit, like playing video games. Just break a habit. Everybody's got a bad habit. So one one area you could go if you want to learn and, you know, go break some habits. It could be anything, drinking more water. It could be exercising more. It could be video games if you want to get technical. It could be your habit of sleeping in too late. It could be your habit of staying up too late. Just break one. I mean, I don't want to guilt anybody. It's just you do only have one life to live. And you may not want to waste it. Oh, shouldn't say waste. You may not want to spend it doing something that, you know, you're not going to be
0: able to have people appreciate at your funeral. You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
2: It's important as a, as a couple, as a partnership, to find some time with each other. And so I've decided I'm going to put together some time savers, ways that you as a couple – Could actually find more time to be together. Again, you're only given so much time anyway, right? So many minutes a day, so much time. And if you're not able to find time for each other, it might be simply because you're misinterpreting or misunderstanding what time you could be using. Uh, One of my first rules, and for years I used to teach, you know, maybe a great tool is divide and conquer. You go one way, you take the kids one way, have your wife go another way. We would divide up, but then we'd be able to quickly get through all of our tasks and then spend time together at the end of the day. Well, I've decided that was some bad advice, and I'm sorry I ever thought of it, because what I have now come to understand is... Maybe what we ought to do is instead of dividing and conquering, what if we've tried to unite and conquer? If our goal is to have time with each other, then let's quit. let's quit dividing in order to then eventually sometime down the road or later in the day be able to have time together. Why don't we actually spend more time today going and doing our, doing our chores, doing our activities, doing our, our to-do list together? What if we could actually go run errands together as a couple? And maybe go grocery shopping and either do it together side by side or actually um, break off and have one of us run and get, you know, the bread and one go get the milk and we meet back and but let's do it together. And then we get in the car and we can talk and we use the time together throughout the day. Sure, it might take you a little bit more time, but you would also finally have the time together instead of just hoping That uh, somehow you're going to find time at the end of the day. Another little uh, tool I might suggest is that you use some productivity apps. Um, My wife now is my she's my executive assistant. She's basically my office manager, in fact. And uh, ever since she's been working for me, it's been the greatest thing ever. It's been so much better for our relationship. We're on the same page. We now are using the same apps with each other. And what I mean by that is she uses Google Calendar. I use Google Calendar. We can combine our lists. We can actually get our children's calendars uh, and our teenagers to put their calendars together, and they become part of our calendar. We have shared to-do lists. We have shared note pages. We have shared camera streams. So, every picture she takes, I can see it. I can get access to it. We have uh, you know we can access each other 's Amazon wish list if we want there 's just a lot of great technology out there that we can use to partner better and and to be together. So, use the apps that you 've got out there and, and and take advantage of those. Another simple rule I use is to watch out for your transition times. I call them transition time are those moments between one activity and another. When you arrive home from work, let's say, that is what I call a transition moment. And there is time and something magical in that moment that you could leverage in your marriage. Uh, After dinner, before we start cleaning up the dinner, there is a magical moment there of transition, where if you would just hang on five or 10 more minutes, you might be able to have a great conversation there. When you go to bed, Uh, That's a transition time going, you know, from whatever, watching a show to going to bed. That time of transition is a wonderful moment where you might be able to pick up some time to spend uh, and actually connect with your spouse. So look through your day and try to identify these moments of transition and see if you can stretch more time out of those. Another little basic uh, idea I give is to share your social media accounts. We spend so much time trying to get everything posted to all of our social media to keep up with everybody else. But what if we actually shared the account together with our spouse and we had a couple's account? And we could both post to it. We could both post interesting parts of our day. It's a great great way to connect with each other, so we're, we're doing that, but it also might give us some more time because we don't have to both do it individually. Now it's something that we can see together, do together, share together. We could even then go through our page together and see what all of our friends are doing, and it might actually bring us together. And then last but not least, let's start learning that we've got to adopt, it's not just about saying no to everyone else, We have to say yes to the marriage. If you want a healthy marriage where we have time together, you got to say yes. You got to make time for it and space for it. And really, we've got to figure out a way to not just have time, but make the time valuable. Um, And so that might be a great place to disconnect from technologies and just actually have some more time to talk. But it's not enough to just say no to everything else. At some point, you also have to say yes to the marriage. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live a healthier, happier family life. In a highly unscientific poll, 27 of uh, female colleagues at the Washington Post reported putting on an average of five products on their face in the morning and keeping two additional pair of shoes at their desk. The two male colleagues asked averaged a half a product and one extra shoe each. So why is it that women feel the need to spend so much time and money on getting ready for their workday? Jacqueline Wong, a research assistant at the University of Chicago, is here with us this morning to discuss the science and psychology behind female attractiveness. Jacqueline Wong, thank you so much for being with us.
6: Thank you for having me.
2: What interesting research. I was raised by my mom and three sisters, only boy, baby of the house and um i I never understood why it would take him so much longer to get ready. why, but there is a social pressure on women that that we as men must not be tuned into.
6: um I think you are absolutely right, and um that is what the results of my research suggest as well
2: what What is it? Talk to us about it because it's not just it's the in in the uh, Washington Post example an average of five products women are putting on their face in the morning when men are putting on like half a product.
6: Yeah, okay, so um, the basic question of my research was, is there any relationship between physical attractiveness and income? So we have this kind of idea that maybe attractive people um, might be better off or uh, do better at their jobs or something, but Let's, let's take a look at the data and see if that's actually true, see if that stereotype actually holds true. So what I did with my co-author Andrew Penner at UC Irvine is use the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent to Adult Health or Ad Health for short. This is a nationally representative data set um, of 20,000 adolescents and they were followed up into adulthood. Um, we took a look to see if interviewers who rated these respondents' attractiveness, um, if these respondents did in fact earn more or less money depending on how attractive they were. And so the answer was yes, uh, we do see a positive relationship between physical attractiveness and income where more physically attractive people tended to earn higher income. And so we thought, well, what exactly is going on here? Is physical attractiveness something that you're born with and that's biologically based and, you know, you just got lucky that you have great skin, beautiful eyes, um, wonderful hair, or is attractiveness more about something that you do, something that you can cultivate? Mm. And that is where we found out that grooming... um, the work that people put into presenting themselves, so buying nice clothes, getting a good haircut um, for women doing their makeup, um, that actually um, accounted for the relationship between attractiveness and income. So it seems that the grooming aspect of beauty is more important than the biological part hmm. of attractiveness.
2: Is that, is that in men? Because so, if men groomed more, would they make more?
6: Yes. So we, we did see that, in general, um, more attractive men uh, earned more money than less attractive men, same way uh, as it works for women. Um, for women, grooming explained the entire effect of attractiveness. So for women, grooming was the single most important thing income. Hmm. For men, grooming was a little bit important, so yes, men who are better groomed tend to do uh, better than men who are not well-groomed, but there's still some kind of effect of being born physically attractive for men that uh, we couldn't explain just by accounting for how well-groomed they were. So there's something about being born um, very handsome for men, whereas that we didn't see for women at all. For women, it was all about how much work do you put into buying the right clothes and making sure that your skin is glowing um, by using the right products.
2: Wow. Because it it almost seems counterintuitive, too, because, um, I mean, it makes sense, except if a woman is is buying five more products than a man... Mm -hmm. just to break, I guess, really to to be seen as more attractive, then Mm -hmm. um, that's just facial products. That that costs a lot of money. It costs five times more for the woman to actually get paid equally.
6: I mean, you could say that. We didn't do that calculation exactly, but you have to remember that women get paid less than men do on average. Um, And if they're going out and spending money on these, Shoes and beauty products, and spending time um, doing all of this work, mm. uh, you can see how you can see how um, our notions of beauty as a culture uh, really play into some gender inequality in our society.
2: That's so true. Talk about um, is this? How does this come to be? I mean, I guess it shows how intuitive women are to know that there's a connection of the looks to the pay. Um, if they're buying into that. I guess some of it's socialization. Talk about what what drives them to do it.
6: Okay, so um, I wasn't able to do this uh, exact. Uh, I wasn't able to explore this exact question in my own research, but I've read a lot of other people's research that suggests that attractive people tend to do better In the social world whether or not whether we're talking about income or schooling or um, you know just general interactions because there is this bias that social psychologists have uncovered called um, the what is beautiful is good bias so we tend to assume as humans that attractive people are good people they're nice people they're friendly people they are competent people So, we tend to treat, um, attractive people a little bit better than less attractive people. So, um, if women have this intuition, um, and I think you're right, it is socialized. Um, we don't, we, we're not born (laughs) knowing how to put makeup on. You learn it. Um, um, if there is that intuition, then, then understanding that, being able to groom yourself so that you are more physically attractive in order to have more income might be, you know, advantageous to you as an individual.
2: Man, you know, it's, this is, it's, I guess it's kind of a, it's just survival. Really. We, we know we need to look the part, play the part, act the part, even if we don't know the part and, and, is it is some of this that we want more attractive people around us is that why we kind of buy into the halo effect of this? Well,
6: um, I think some of it might be that. Yes. Um what what my co-author and I talk about in this paper is uh maybe something um a little more a little more negative uh in in a worldview, we we interpret this finding as this is one of the mechanisms through which we control women's behavior. Mm. So it's a it's a subtle thing, um, and it's not you know completely coercive and aggressive and violent, but it's it's one of the things that we have in place as a society that directs women to do to engage in certain behaviors much more so then men are called to engage in these behaviors.
2: Yeah. Is it, do, do women apply the same standard to women as men apply to women about their attractiveness?
6: Um, yes. So in general, um, social psychologists have found that most people um, across genders, even across cultures, um, can agree whether or not someone is physically attractive or not. So if I were to show you a picture of a random person and have you rate how physically attractive you found the person, and then you were to show the same picture to me and to, you know, 10 other people, on average, we would all pretty much agree whether or not this person was attractive, regardless of your taste, my specific taste, um, different cultures. Generally, people look for the same cues Hmm. when looking at attractiveness.
2: And the, so attractiveness. Some of the benefits are increased income, right? Increased, mm-hmm. I guess, higher ability. What are what are some other advantages that you found in the research?
6: Yeah. So um, some other advantages include um, people are people are considered more friendly uh, if they are attractive, and you can imagine how that would be an advantage. People are more willing to help you if they think you're more friendly. Um, People are more willing to talk to you and give you opportunities if they think you're more friendly. Um, Attractive children uh, are treated better by their teachers and their peers at school, and you can kind of see how attractiveness can be an asset throughout the life course starting at young ages. Yeah, Um,
2: Yeah, you start, I mean, if you're a beautiful child and everybody's uh, more drawn to you, more attracted Mm -hmm. to you, being nicer Mm -hmm. to you. Always giving you. you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you could, it seems like that, that you've just created an egomaniac supermodel.
6: <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> um, so, right. So so we also see a correlation between attractiveness and confidence and um, outgoingness. And, and these are other traits that we value in particularly American society. Um, so you've got the look then, you've got the personality to go with it. Um, this is just,
2: accumulating advantage over the life course. Hmm. We're, this is, so this then says that women subconsciously, I guess, or even consciously, they know they need to look good, smell good, shine appropriately. Um, They need to, so they spend more time in the morning. Is it, it's got to be frustrating anybody that's conscious or conscientiously doing this. What's, What's going through their mind? Do, do they connect it to kind of this, this hierarchy of men holding them down? Um, what do they feel going through this?
6: Um, so I won't be able to speak for every single woman, but I've seen research suggesting that, hey, there are some people who see the system in play and they say, fine, I know how to play this game. I know the rules. Let's go for it and, you know, get some benefit from it. And then there are some people who um, who don't see it that way at all. There, there's a lot of research that suggests that um, grooming and beauty practices um, for for women themselves is more about self expression mm. than it is about you know trying to play this game and earning the most money. Um, it's about feeling good in their own skin, and you know, um, for me personally. I can see both things working at the same time. It's not either or, it, it's a little bit of both and. So if I was a woman who really, really liked getting my hair cut because it makes me feel really powerful and really confident, but at the same time, I'm getting rewarded for that, well, you know, that's the world that we live in. Um, if, if I were an employer, I would want to be a little bit more cognizant of, of how this, type of beauty-based inequality might play out in my workplace.
2: Mm.
6: Um, I mean, because so, so it's never, it's
2: never even supposed to be incorporated in the process, and yet subconsciously we're, we're evaluating it all the time.
6: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think one of, the, um, one of the pitfalls is that people don't recognize that they have this unconscious bias towards favoring attractive people. So one of the recommendations that I would make to supervisors or managers, um, people who are in charge in workplaces, is trying to come up with evaluations for their employees that takes some of that physical attractiveness bias away. So if you're trying to evaluate someone's work, maybe have them turn it in and have blind reviewers hmm. um, take a look at this work. Um, or even just having... Um, a manager be trained to slow down and ask themselves how much of my rating of this employee is influenced by how I perceive the person physically as opposed to how I perceive the person as a worker, full stop.
2: Mm. Because we talk about it and we've had people on the show that, you know, your first impression, your first impression, you get one chance for a good first impression. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost pay, plays into that mindset that, I mean, of course, they're going to dress up and look good and smell good and, and just be shiny and perfect when they come in for their job interview. They're mm-hmm. just doing that because it's a first impression. But really, it, it could be the deal breaker or the deal right. maker.
6: Right. So there there is one theory called the signaling theory that suggests that, well, people who put in more effort into being well-groomed, so the, the guy who went out and tailored his suit rather than pulling something off the, off the rack that doesn't fit quite right. Um, the woman who went out of her way to get her hair colored um, before this important job interview. The signaling theory suggests that these people are actually trying to convey their value as a worker because they are paying attention to detail, they're willing to put in the effort, And that physical attractiveness really is something that we should pay attention to um, in the workplace uh, Hmm. as far as worker quality goes. But, you know, that's one theory. There are many others.
1: (laughs) Wow, it's
2: interesting. It really is. It's opening up uh, my mind into how subtle our choices really are. And we don't think so many of them through we're speaking with Jacqueline Wong and she is a research assistant on the National Social Life Health and Aging Project a nationally representative study of older Americans and a research assistant at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy Center for survey research we'll come back continue the discussion about the real reason why so many women have to spend so much time getting ready every day they got to get all their products on Because it helps. It helps make a living. It helps make more money. It helps keep them in the game. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Does attractiveness influence you in who you hire, in why you hiring, why you hire them? Does it impact your view of them? Do you think they're smarter because they're more attractive? Well, according to our our guest today, uh, Jacqueline Wong joins us and she is um, a research assistant at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy Center for Survey Research and wrote her master's thesis on this very subject, um, Gender and the Return to Attractiveness. Um, Her master's uh, title thesis title, Competing Desires, How Young Adult Couples Negotiate Moving for Career Opportunities. And she's walking us through some of her research about the fact that if we find somebody attractive – um, it, it tends to influence what we think about them and maybe we give them an unfair advantage. And in the end, this may be hindering um, females because they fe- might feel more of a compelling need to, to have to close the, the income gap, for example, to create more opportunities to uh, to earn. And by doing so, they might feel more compelled to have to look better, be better, dress better. We appreciate you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being with us.
6: No problem. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Interesting insight. Um, this this idea that I all of a sudden I hire I have all these subconscious things going on that I, I guess some people would just say was, I don't know it was just my gut. What was it that you liked most about Stacy? I just felt good about it. But that good feeling is simply they might be more attractive. That's why I gave him the job. But no one would say that, would they?
6: I don't think anyone would say that. And I I think that, you know, we just, we don't really recognize that and that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad person. Um, It's, it's just something that goes on in your brain without us really consciously knowing it. Um, And I think that my research shows that we need to be a little bit more thoughtful Mm. about how we perceive people.
2: I totally agree. And, um, does does this go by ethnicity? Are are certain? I mean, is there a is there a universal standard of attractiveness that I would see across every every ethnic group, or are some ethnic groups less attractive to me? How does that impact? Because because that I guess could also be part of our bias.
6: Yes, sure. So I was only looking at data from the United States and. Most of the people in my research sample uh, were white because that's that's what America looks like right now. Um, there are absolutely um, racial minorities included in my sample, but you know overall um, we have a white American sample. Um, social psychology research suggests that there is some kind of universal, uh, some type of Universal criteria for attractiveness: things like facial symmetry, um, youth, and um, I think I think those might be two of the most important things that cut across different cultures. But um, when you get down to grooming, grooming is really different across
1: cultures, right?
6: Right. So, you know, in America, we might have the idea that women with long hair versus short hair might be more attractive, or men with short hair rather than long hair are attractive, um, but in other cultures, it could be something completely different. Hmm. Um, so the, the question about attractiveness and race or ethnicity um, I do think that that plays into ha- whether or not we perceive someone as physically attractive. So I haven't looked at that specific research question um, in this particular paper. It is something that I am continuing to explore mm. uh, in my research. Um, I've, I've looked at some very preliminary, um, some very preliminary analyses looking at skin tone and physical attractiveness. So hmm. there, there's a little bit of evidence that I'm not 100% sure of yet because this is still kind of in, a, in an exploratory state um, where lighter skin tone is associated with higher attractiveness. So basically people are rating light lighter skinned people as more attractive. Hmm. But, it, yeah. you know, I, I do think that there, there has to be a little bit more work going into it to see exactly what's going on with skin color, attractiveness, race, it, it gets complicated.
2: You bet. We, you've already taught us that. So one thing we have to become to, to understand this is you don't have to. It's subconscious, a lot of this, but we can increase our awareness about it. We can make an effort to make sure that we're not just doing this based on looks. We're not hiring people. We're not paying people more based on looks and, and attractiveness. Um, what else can we do just as society as as somebody that's about to hire someone, let's say, or what can i what can I do for my family, my daughters, my wife, so that they don't feel a compelling need to have to you know be putting makeup on five times more than you know and 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 doing more grooming five times more than men?
6: yeah, so I think that you know I wanna absolutely reiterate that managers and supervisors and people who are in positions of power need to take that time to really step back and ask themselves, am I judging this person based on physical attractiveness, or am I really judging this person based on their skill? And I want to add to that, that they need to be especially aware of this if they're rating women, because remember, it was women where this effect was very present. Um, so, so there's that. Um, maybe workplaces can step towards more objective types of employee evaluations. So, for example, if you are um, if you are in a field that does a lot of writing, um, maybe this person should submit a writing sample, and they shouldn't show up mm, to right. the evaluation so that their their looks can't affect uh, how the writing sample is being rated. Um, some advice that. Um, I would give to uh, your family, you know, your wife, your daughters, um, women in general. um, uh, I would say, do what makes you feel comfortable. Do what makes you feel comfortable because I think being comfortable will absolutely um, make you feel better. Mm. And people who aren't, you know, anxious or feeling a little bit on edge or uncomfortable, um, your interactions with people are going to go a lot more smoothly and your personality and your skills and who you are as a person is maybe more able, uh, more available to come out so that Mm. people can really be making a more accurate judgment of you.
2: And if you like, if if the grooming is what you like and you like, you know, design and fashion and Picking it up, be that if that makes you comfortable, do that. Don't think you have to be anything but what you need to be.
6: Exactly, absolutely.
2: That's cool. Is um, I, I guess is there is there a downside because uh, it seems like there's also this pressure. To just be treated equally, right, and and to be paid equally for, and and if if this is unfairly, uh, if we're more judgmental of attraction uh, of females and their need to to do more, how does that ever change? How do we ever stop it? And and how do women stop living under that umbrella of judgment?
6: Yeah, well, I think men and women have to come together to recognize that. This bias exists, and try to implement it a little bit more in their workplaces and their communities. Right? Like, if we can all, if we can all think a little bit harder about how physical attractiveness influences our everyday interactions, we can start there. We can start there.
2: Hmm. That's great, great advice. Well, Jacqueline Wong, thank you so much for your research. Keep up the great work there. Honestly, it's a different feeling isn't it we we have this sense that no i'm just hiring people, but you have a gut feeling you have something going on deep down that you may not even be aware of and it it does impact immediately uh how you judge how you pay how you promote um it's interesting, boy, do what you can to at least be open uh recognize that there's a bias there recognize that it exists and maybe be a little slower to call your grandbaby wonderful only because she's beautiful maybe we can see all the other good things that your grandchild is right smart inquisitive energetic fun lots of things not just pretty We'll take a break, folks. Come back, do a little coach's corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, have a smarter life. Stick with us. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
2: Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, that's why you can't, you got to be careful. Judging people and judging because we're quietly, subconsciously doing it all the time. Like when you, when we hired you, I thought this guy can groom.
5: Really? Yeah. You thought of my grooming habits as I sat well, there? Well, Don and I talked about it for hours. Wow. He seems to groom very well. Wow. He cleans himself up. He took a shower before he came in. He was wearing, I don't remember what you were wearing. You got into the, the were you one. Were wearing a suit? No, I was wearing a leather jacket. Oh, that's right. I thought it looked more impressive. I Maybe thought you intimidating. Looked totally hip. Yeah. yeah. That was nice. Yeah. My wife said it looked dressy without looking yeah. too dressy. and
2: the, But the slicked hair, the greased yeah. back Fonzie hair, that, that was the deal breaker. That's what said, okay. Hey, um, Florence Henderson passed away. She did. My mother. Week. She, I was a latchkey child. She raised me. I was the seventh Brady.
5: You were? Yeah. Talk wasn't, about wasn't it that little cousin kid that came and lived with him for a oh, while? Right. Whatever his name was with the glasses and the floppy hair? Yeah, was it Oliver? What yeah, was Oliver. It was Oliver. Oliver. Wow. We watched too many of those shows. Yeah, those were the good days. <laughs> yeah, but I was... Okay, so I was the eighth child. Okay. Wasn't that the dog? Bandit or whatever his name was? Yeah. Was it Bandit? Okay. Or was that Let's Johnny just Quest? Say I was one of their children. Okay. No number. What, uh... So I found ten pieces of sage advice from Florence Henderson. Okay. Either as mrs brady or as florence henderson right the first one is you shouldn't put down a loser cindy because you might be a loser one day yourself just remember that that's a great point that's a great point (laughs) it could come back to haunt you can't you see her saying that like on in the girl's bedroom yeah or another one is you better wear something else or you're going to get arrested ah there you go from the brady bunch
2: is that to one of the girls or one of the guys
5: not sure it doesn't say um it takes a lot of courage to be happy but I've got courage, so I think I'll be happy again. She said that the day after her husband died back oh. in
2: 2012. Oh. Wow, okay.
5: That's a good lesson. She chose to be happy. No problem was ever solved by crawling into a hole. Greg. It's on the Birdie Bunch. Yeah, pick the kid. I had four children, and my youngest, when we started, was like, oh, gosh, two or a little less. And sometimes my kids would say to me, you know, how come you don't scream at those kids on TV like you do at us? <laughs> That was in an NPR interview in 2014.
7: That's so true. I think she also said, uh, never date your co-stars. Oops. Ooh. That was
5: a rumor. You just brought up the third rail of the Brady Bunch. Uh, Number eight, you mustn't let the boys upset you. Okay, I'm going with Jan. Could be. Okay. A lot of women say to me, you know, I really hated you because my kids wanted you to be their mother. That was 2010. Yeah. (laughs) Don't play ball in the house. Uh, that's going to be Bobby and or the football episode with yeah Greg Jan breaking her nose but she broke it outside I thought was that in the fake patio with the, the fake
2: patio right off Astro of the Turf. dining room door <laughs> those are good see she's a great woman yeah great mom may she rest in peace she's up there with Mike Brady right now Mike's friends <laughs> that's cool Oh, I love the Brady Bunch. I don't know why. It was just very comforting. Yeah. I watched quite a bit of that show. That's a, that was a sign of a because it was a blended family, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. And then Flora what was her name? Not Florent. Uh who is the Alice. 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 And Sam. I always found that strange. Sam the Butcher. Sam kept like going back to the you know, the maid quarters. Sam's a tease. Sam, Sam's a butcher, and those butchers <laughs> nobody can be a tease like a butcher. Right. Always like, hey. So, do you want, do you want me to bring you some ground beef? (laughs) Sure, Sam. Oh,
3: those were the days.
2: Mmm, life was so much easier. A paneled, wood-paneled station wagon or whatever. It was nice. Now we've got all these other problems we got to deal with. The interweb. We'll take a break, folks. Helping you live healthier lives. Stick with us.
7: Friday morning, welcome to Screen Cleaning. We've got Cole Wissinger here, we've got Jeff Simpson here, and we've got a newcomer that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But as you know, each and every week on Screen Cleaning, we do our darndest to find you the very best in entertainment. That means movies, that means TV, theater, music, sports, books, you name it, if it has anything to do with... We've even talked about food on the show before. We tend to talk about food a lot with you on the show, actually. Yeah, and it gets me hungry. I, Movie theater
4: food, I recently,
7: snack food, all kinds of food. I recently recommended the best ice cream sandwich that I've ever had that you can find at least in our Costco. That's true. And uh, it's amazing. Amazing. But uh, speaking of all that is good in entertainment news, I wouldn't call this good necessarily. It's news that we would like you to know we about. We do start with the news. You betcha. Cole, you brought up a point during the break or before we started the show about how D.C., they constantly have news that is updating.
4: When we're struggling to find news for the show, which does happen from time to time, we can just turn to the D.C. universe and they will give (laughs) us the update on what they think is going to happen with their next movies. And it's sure to change by the next week or even faster.
7: By the next by the end of the day. By the end. (laughs) I logged on to IMDb the other day. And I think a lot of people are kind of excited, if not just curious, about uh, this upcoming Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. Interest has been peaked. As the Joker, directed by Todd Phillips, who is known for doing comedy. Um, and all this casting news keeps coming out. And an intriguing bit of casting news came out the other day in the form of Alec Baldwin being casted as uh michael michael not michael keaton bruce wayne's father thomas wayne right Mm -hmm. thomas wayne that's an interesting choice he's got you know he maybe that's maybe it's an origin story of the batman voice because alec baldwin is known for that that like gravelly whispery voice kind of like Kiefer sutherland very good yeah, it's an origin story of the character.
4: Um, Except it's not because now by by the end of the day on your same IMDB feed, right. they were walking it back.
7: I had to do a double take. <laughs> I was it was literally later that day I found out that nope, just kidding, Alec Baldwin is no longer going to play play Bruce Wayne's father. And uh I couldn't believe it. It was the fastest about turn I've seen in casting ever. And I loved his comment because it was basically, there are 25 other guys that can play that role, which to me says, yeah, I was just doing this for a paycheck. I'm not the only guy that can do this. There are plenty of others that can. I think it's a nice move. Yeah, good for him. You know, he's busy with his Trump work on Saturday Night Live. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a lot about streaming. There's so many choices. It's a little overwhelming, actually. and uh, So
4: we're going to try to parse through it and, and explain it for you.
7: Right. And we have uh, some upcoming movies onto the streaming services that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But real quick, we want to introduce a new member of our screen cleaning team. Her name is McKinley.
8: Jane Randall.
7: Whoa.
8: Yes, my full name.
7: And why is it that you are excited to join the screen-cleaning team?
8: Well, first of all, I'm a fan, I would say. (laughs) Love what I've heard. Um, And I'm just excited to share what I know or what I think. I don't know if you can say you really know anything about movies. We
7: don't know anything.
8: Right. Who does? Who does?
7: (laughs) (laughs) And we're excited, too, to have you here because later on in the show... We're going to be teasing a new segment within one of our existing segments, Panning for Good. And uh, you have you heard that segment yet, Panning for Good? I have. Okay. I'm a big fan of that. Excellent. So, as promised, Cole and I want to give you a taste of what's coming up on Netflix and Amazon in the month of September or something that's coming out today. I'm going to mention that as well. Cole, why don't you start with Netflix?
4: All right. So, as as we will talk about even later a lot of these movies and television shows come and go. So this month on Netflix, some highlights that we would recommend might be Groundhog Day. Love it. Perfect movie. Which is movie. good timing. Uh, We're in the month of August, September-ish, um, and it's a movie about February the 2nd. So, of the, course, it's coming out now.
7: There are very few movies I would consider perfect, but that's probably Groundhog one Day of them. great.
4: Um, Uh, One of my personal favorites, Emperor's New Groove, my favorite Disney movie, is coming to Netflix.
7: Love it. I compare that one to The Jungle Book because it's all about just good fun. You don't have to worry too much about the plot. You just sit back and relax and laugh.
4: No romantic entanglements either in Disney. I like that. King Kong uh, is coming. Nacho Libre. The River Wild.
7: (gasps) Which is like the comfort food equivalent. Uh, I mean, it's the movie version of comfort food, I think. Which one? The River Wild. Oh, okay. Very good. It's got some Kevin Bacon in it. A movie Mm, that I I have admitted
4: to crying during once on the show, Click, is
7: coming to Netflix. Yeah, I wouldn't mention that again. That's kind of embarrassing.
4: And then the Marvel installment for this month is Black Panther. And that's huge. That's a huge release because that was one of the biggest movies of the year. A $700 million domestic movie. Which will Cole, be coming to Netflix just a couple months after its theatrical release. It's
7: which, really groundbreaking. Which Cole thought was a little overrated. Well, it, did to, you for it to be the to,
4: best? My, I mean, it's a very good movie.
7: I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. <laughs> I agree. It's probably a little overrated. Um, yeah. I'm glad that it made a ton of money though It's, it's Marvel. Not,
4: Of course it makes money
7: Right, but it's not necessarily one that I want to watch over and over and over again I watched it twice and I thought, you know, it's probably good I'll watch it again when it comes to Netflix Well, good for you, Cole Now on to Amazon Prime We've got Ghostbusters 1 and 2 Which is great timing So Netflix doesn't like to put, you know, scary movies Or uh, scary comedy movies Onto their service in time for Halloween So good for you, Amazon Prime You are going to do it over the top. Do you okay. know what over the top is, Cole? No. Please explain. Mickey, do you know over the top?
8: I do not. Never heard of it.
7: Let me enlighten you. This is a film that I believe has been uh, part of the Rift Tracks library. It okay. stars Sylvester Stallone. And it's a movie about an arm wrestling competition. But it's not only that, it's so much more because Sylvester Stallone is in a custody battle with his kid's grandfather over who gets to keep the kid. The grandfather is played by the the late and great Robert Loggia. I do remember this
4: coming up whenever we were doing our sports movies bracket. You were fighting for it to be included in in that miscellaneous category along with ping pong movies and all kinds of others. As as it could have been. As a kid,
7: it was great. A movie about arm wrestling. Yep. Okay. We've got Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is one of my wife's – I only have one wife. It's – one of her favorite films, they would watch it like almost every Sunday. That's kind of her comfort food. Robin okay. Hood, Prince of Thieves, and of course, it's got that great Brian Adams ballad. Cole is not a fan, apparently. It's like my fourth favorite Robin Hood movie, maybe. Sleepless in Seattle, which I know a lot of people love. And it is, I love the banter. It's directed by Rob Reiner, or is it? It is. No. I can't it remember. He's in be. it. He's yeah. in it. I know that. He's in it. Um, if you watch it again, though, it's kind of creepy because Meg Ryan is essentially stalking Tom Hanks' character. It's really creepy. I actually may prefer You've Got Mail. I
8: think I do, too.
7: You do, too? Yeah.
8: My my all-time favorite, When Harry Met Sally. Oh, Yeah. Ryan. But yeah, still like Sleepless in Seattle. That
7: one is directed by Rob Reiner. I know that. And then uh, before we go to break, we want to mention the release of Jack Ryan or I'm, I'm sorry, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan.
4: To differentiate from the many other iterations right. of Jack Ryan that we've and seen. it
7: is premiering today. You have like Baldwin even from Hunt for Red October, things like that. This This show, they've teased this show for like three years, and it's finally out today, starring John Krasinski, who is having just a huge, huge year. This things have been, I mean, Hollywood and audiences have been good to John Krasinski this year, and I can only imagine it's going to get better from here. Got something to watch over the weekend. It's already renewed for a second season, so there (laughs) you go. It better be good. Anyway, speaking of streaming, when we return, we realize we've only given you a small taste of what's available on these streaming services. There are thousands of other choices to make. And, uh, you know, maybe it's too difficult to choose all of them, so you might have to choose just one. We're going to try to do just that when we return on screen cleaning. There's so much to view and so little time. Today, we're going to be talking about the various streaming services that we have at our disposal. And there is just so much content on these different streaming services that it is so difficult and overwhelming to try to process all the different options that you have. Some people subscribe to multiple streaming services, but we're going to pose a very important question here today that hopefully will save you some money. The next time you're looking at your budget, you might be thinking this very question If I could only choose one streaming service to subscribe to, which one would it be? And we have a special guest on the program today. His name is Jacob Gowans. We've had him on the show before. And he is going to act as our DC Disney expert. He's already subscribed to the uh, forthcoming DC streaming service that. Uh, I'm not sure when that will come out. Jacob, when is that coming out?
9: I think it launches in uh, September October.
7: September, October. We'll talk about that here later on in this segment. But, uh, Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Jacob, since you are the guest, we are going to give you the opportunity first to pick one streaming service that you would stick with, and you're going to try to defend that service, tell us why it's so great and why, if you could only choose one, you're sticking with that one.
9: All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to be representing Netflix because uh, Netflix has so many great pluses that I want to talk about. Uh, first of all, let's talk about Netflix's price, right? Let's get to the bottom line. You can get Netflix for 8 bucks a month. Um, And, uh, if you want, you know, if you need 4k, it's going to cost a little more than that. I think it's like $14 a month for 4k streaming, but eight bucks a month is usually good enough for your cell phone. Um, and if you watch a lot of TV on your cell phone or on like a smaller uh, tablet, standard definition is probably going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. So eight bucks a month gives you content or access to everything that they have. Um, but beyond that, I mean, their content library, I think it blows everyone else out of the water. Uh, they spend eight billion dollars a year on content
7: Wow uh,
9: it's it's I know it's a it's massive amounts of money they're 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 putting out new shows uh, and new content every single day you can access they they always release you know the month before what's coming out and what day it comes out on in the following month so so you, and and what's and what's also gonna be leaving their library in case you're worried about that and so they're they do a great job of just uh, providing. More content than anyone could possibly consume you know in in a uh, in a normal person's lifetime there's something for everyone on Netflix they're also really really good at getting their uh interface on supported devices. I remember back when the Wii was nintendo's most popular console, and you could watch Netflix on the wii i mean it's it's everywhere, and I don't think um most other services can 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 brag about that i mean you know, a lot of them are in are in kind of uh, like you look at Amazon and they're they're in their fight with Google, you know. And so if you have a Google device, um, they're not always supported. Uh, they're not always supporting Amazon or other services. But Netflix is is basically on everything that you own. It's really easy to use. It's always, I mean, Netflix is constantly updating their interface to make it uh, easier to use. It's very clean and crisp. Other services that I've tried like Hulu. Uh, are not as easy to use with Netflix. Whoa, I mean sometimes whoa, whoa,
7: whoa, whoa. wait a minute, wait a minute, you'll have your day in court with Hulu oh. in just a second, Jacob.
9: Okay, you're right, you're right. <laughs> so um but Netflix just does a great job. They they, you know, you can create different accounts for your family and you can you can control content levels for your kids. There's almost no downsides that I know of to Netflix. And so that's why I think it's the most popular service out there is because they dominate in almost every category.
4: No downsides that you know of. We're about to tell you some, I think. <laughs> well, before
7: we get to that, and first of all, I think you've, you're probably living under a rock if you have not heard of Netflix. And uh, to a certain extent, that I guess that could be true of your pick, Cole. Yes, I am going to defend Hulu because I think it is the strongest
4: streaming service. Really? You started, <laughs> Jacob, with the bottom line of $8 per month, and that's why Netflix is so great. But Hulu's is the same. $7.99 for your subscription to their their massive video library. And as Netflix has been getting into fights with Disney and with Fox, they've been losing old content. Sure, they spend $8 billion to come out with new stuff a lot, but Hulu still has All the old television that I go back to watch, where Netflix has been losing some of those television shows. With your Hulu account, you also get access to Spotify Premium, which allows you to have music on the go wherever you would like it as well. Their interface is on all the devices that I need, my phone and my Xbox, and so I've never had a problem with that. And they have good quality stuff.
7: This is a really interesting uh, pick, Cole, and the two of you have the luxury of of choosing a service that is very well known. And before I tell you what my pick is, I, I do want to mention some of the others. There are a lot of streaming services that offer live TV. So if you are a cord cutter, these options are ones that you could consider. DirecTV Now, Hulu with Live TV. Hulu, there is live a live TV, TV option mm-hmm. with Hulu. PlayStation View, Sling TV is a really uh cheap option if you don't care about having very many channels. Uh then there are also the services that that you've already talked about, gentlemen, that focus primarily on original content. And that's Amazon Prime, CBS All Access, Hulu, Netflix, you all you both mentioned. A couple of others we don't really We won't really spend too much time talking about, like, HBO Now. Um, But I'm actually going to choose a streaming service that focuses on live TV. Now, they do have some original programming, um, but I am going to choose YouTube TV. If I had to get rid of my Netflix, if I had to get rid of my Amazon Prime, which, by the way, I'm probably going to do next year, I would choose YouTube TV. Now, let me tell you why. I feel like with all of, of all of the live TV options, this one has the best selection of channels in the programming or in the, in the package. You have an unlimited amount of cloud storage which is huge because that was an issue with DirecTV when I had the the actual DVR. We were always running out of room on our DVR. Uh, you can watch edited movies from TV. And it has some of my favorite channels on there like FX and AMC, so I can watch Fargo and Better Call Saul. Uh, it will record every instance of a TV episode or a movie so that you get to choose which one of those recordings you want to watch. Sometimes a show or a movie is recorded on two different channels. You may want to choose one over the other. And I love the fact that I can skip over the commercials. It's relatively user-friendly, and I'm a little biased. I will admit that. I got in. I was grandfathered in at the lower price of $35 a month. Now it's $40 a month. But, I mean, compare that to a typical cable bill if you have DirecTV or Dish Network. You are paying $80 a month, and you never know what is going to show up on your bill. With YouTube TV, you have the same price month after month. I'm loving it. So now, Jacob, you can have your day in court. We want to circle back to you and give you an opportunity to tell us why we're wrong in choosing Hulu and YouTube TV.
9: Well... I, I just can't say I just can't say much about Hulu. But I can't say much good about Hulu. I, I did try Hulu Live, and I was just really disappointed with how bad the interface was. It was very difficult to um, to navigate through their 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 interface. Um, they it is it is I will say this for Hulu that it is nice that they have that they're really good about putting shows up immediately after they air. Um, whereas with Netflix, that sometimes takes a little bit longer. But it still goes back to the fact that Netflix still has far more content. Um, than Hulu, you know, and, uh, for the eight bucks a month, they both cost for standard definition. Netflix just, it's, it's, it's a night and day difference. YouTube is great if you want to watch, you know, TV as it's airing. But again, um, if let's say you take a movie off of YouTube, uh, and put it in your catalog, you're still watching a, a modified version. You're not watching the original film. You're watching an edited for TV version or a film, a version that's been trimmed down to a shorter running time to fit into their their window um and so there is that drawback to watching films on youtube tv so but um, without
7: youtube tv i never would have seen the tv edited version of money talks and i probably would have been grateful for that now that i think about it
9: No, that's true. If you want edited content, then YouTube TV is great uh, because it's going to be editing it for you for a television audience.
4: But this isn't some like brand new concept coming out. This is YouTube TV is just cable. Um, We've been getting edited for TV versions of movies since television happened.
7: But don't forget, I, I should have mentioned a specific example Of original content that technically, I guess, uh, isn't from YouTube TV, but I think it's through YouTube Red. And because it's under the YouTube umbrella, you get to access it through YouTube TV. But How complicated is YouTube, Jeffrey? I'm one of the few people that didn't have to do a free trial to stream the entire first season of Cobra Kai. And I feel proud to say that, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not one of those people that just uh, jumps off the ship once the show's over.
9: Well, Netflix. Although I mean, I I still think Netflix has some of the best original content. You look at Stranger Things. um, You know, it's still one of the best shows out there. Uh, They've won tons of awards for House of Cards, Orange is the New Black. Um, You know, there's a long list of shows that are coming from uh, Netflix that are that are just highly regarded, highly reviewed. Um, but how many ridiculous.
7: how many original shows on Netflix have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes? Like, I don't
9: think
7: there's any. Like Cobra Kai does. Hmm?
4: Maybe it's 100% because no one's seen it, Jeffrey. Boo.
7: Everybody's seen it. Huge numbers. Lots of people have seen it. Huge. It's true.
4: Uh-huh. It's
9: true. <laughs> More people have watched Cobra Kai than Handmaid's Tale. That is but absolutely But which one is true.
4: better? I would take The Handmaid's Tale any day of the week. Now, I will seed Netflix has a better original content library than what Hulu is going with now. But of that $8 billion, so much is going into just having content. Netflix's game plan right now is just to have more stuff than everyone else, and they don't care how good it is. Every month, you talked about how they list all the things that will be coming to Netflix this month. And I go through it every month and see, oh, I might watch season two of Luke Cage, even though every Marvel iteration has been going downhill since season one of Daredevil. Even their quality, their prestige content that they're so proud of over there at Netflix, I don't think matches up with the old television library from networks like Fox and NBC that Hulu still provides on their service. Okay, so what's, what's your beef with YouTube TV then? Well, one thing that I haven't brought up yet is that YouTube TV isn't actually available in every market. My parents, who have been trying to cut the cord in different ways at my prodding uh, for some time now, actually don't have YouTube TV available to them in rural Pennsylvania where they live. So go online and check and see if YouTube TV is even available where you live before you think you can get all these wonderful things that Jeffrey has been talking about. But also... It's too expensive. Too so expensive. You're paying 35 but everyone else, if they start today, is 40 which is, if my math major undergrad is correct, <laughs> approximately five times as much as what Jacob or I are paying for our one subscription service we wanted.
7: What an it's true. arrogant, smarmy response.
4: I resent what, I mean, that response.
9: Unless you're unless you're one of those I want to watch my news every night and there's shows that I want to watch live as they're airing that aren't on those cable stations like HBO and Showtime, then YouTube TV doesn't really make a lot of money sense because the whole point of getting away from The whole point of joining Netflix or Hulu is to get away from cord cutting, but with YouTube, you're basically just going back to the same thing, but just at a slightly lower cost.
4: And if you want that live TV, go Hulu's route to get your local channels and also have a large library of bingeable content as well. But
7: neither Hulu or Netflix are going to allow me to watch the Dodgers game.
4: Hulu Live TV. If that's the Mm -hmm. the live option is what you need, Hulu's got that too.
7: Alright. Well, let me have a chance to go at it with Hulu. I am totally with Jacob on this one. The user interface is incredibly... It was glitchy, not user-friendly. I feel like Hulu has a much inferior selection of movies overall. Now you, Jacob, let's get to you and Netflix. I am totally with Cole on this one and i think if i could make one argument against streaming in general and all of the content that is on these streaming services netflix would be the biggest culprit of them all because there is so much content it's overwhelming and i'm kind of the i'm kind of a person that if i'm overwhelmed with so much content I just end up watching less because there's no way I can sift through all of this stuff and make a mental cue of the show that I should watch next. So shame on you, Netflix for choosing quantity over quality. And I'm not a fan of just throwing out whatever you can and something eventually will stick because I'm a fan of taking your time, spend two or three years in between the season, make it right. I'm much more for quality over quantity. Now, Let's talk about the movie selection. I feel like went from bad to good, and this is one thing I do want to give Amazon Prime a shout-out for, is when Amazon Prime started showing movies, started streaming movies, they came out of the gate uh, with their A-game, okay, which forced Netflix to raise the quality of movies that they streamed on Netflix, and... Now it's funny because I feel like there aren't any good movies on Amazon Prime. But so it went from bad to good thanks to Amazon Prime. And I feel like it will soon be back to bad. I'm really nervous. And we're going to be talking about this uh, in just a little bit on the program. I'm really nervous what this Disney streaming service is going to do with the existing programming on Netflix. I feel like the good movies, a lot of the good movies that are currently on Netflix are going to disappear, and we're going to have to pay yet another payment of $8, I think is what it is, to watch our favorite Disney movies, our favorite Star Wars or Marvel movies. And really, when it comes down to it, the reason I could probably give it up Is because the only show that brings me back again is Stranger Things. That's really the only thing that brings me back. And, you know, why don't I just spend $20 once and buy a season on DVD? So goodbye, Netflix. Goodbye, Hulu. I'm sticking with YouTube TV, and so should you. And if you haven't heard about it, sign up today. I'm not getting paid for that, by the way. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Speaking of that, we should take a commercial break brought to you today, I think, by YouTube TV. Isn't that right, Cole? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. No, we are going to take a break, though. And when we return, Jacob and I are going to be put on the spot here a little bit because we're going to be participating in a little trivia game, uh, uh, which involves some of these streaming services that we've been talking about here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Today we are talking about streaming services and posing the question a question you may very likely ask yourself the next time you look at your budget. If I had to get rid of all of these streaming services except one, which one would I keep? Jacob Gowans, our guest and frequent collaborator, chose Netflix, Cole stuck with Hulu, and I am sticking with YouTube TV all the way, baby. Now, Cole is going to put Jacob and I on the spot here by giving us a little trivia contest for us to compete, duke it out, see how well we know our streaming services. That's right. One of
4: the flaws that none of us really mentioned because all of our services are guilty of it is the constant moving around of content. Yes. You never know what channel or what service is going to have your favorite TV show because it could be gone from one today and onto a different one tomorrow. So, as of today, I'm going to quiz you on where <laughs> some current television shows are. In the streaming library.
7: I'll be so sad if I know too many of these. I hope my wife's not listening if I do.
4: It's possibly cool. just a one in three guess. Okay. In where it's at. Or one in four. There's, there's a few options.
7: All right. So who's going first? Or is it just for both of us?
4: I'll let you both guess. And okay. And keep track of points.
7: All righty. So
4: I will name a television show, and you will guess where you can find it now. Starting with one of Jeffrey's personal favorites, Seinfeld. That is currently on Hulu.
7: Jacob, do you trust him?
9: Oh yeah, he's correct.
7: <laughs> Although I did notice that, uh, and I'll mention this later on in the program. It was on. Uh, it's also on Sony Crackle for it a little is bit longer.
4: Also on Crackle for now for free. <laughs> uh, but Hulu's got it. And the interesting thing about all of these are that they've been on different ones in different periods of time. Seinfeld has had its day on Netflix. It's had its day on Amazon Prime, but you're correct.
7: Isn't it interesting he signed this big deal with Hulu, but now if you want to watch his other show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which used to be on Crackle, it's now on Netflix.
4: And a lot so of right, his he, old stand-up is on Netflix. He found like a two hundred well.
9: million dollar deal or something like that with uh, Hulu to get Seinfeld, and then Netflix picked him up for like several comedy shorts and, uh, and and his new show. So yeah. Do we know
7: how long Seinfeld will continue to be on Hulu?
9: I would assume it's for a long time with that much money being thrown around.
7: I guess two hundred million dollars ought to secure you a fair amount of time.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one
7: point for me. Woohoo! And one point for Jacob. Why? He didn't do anything. He got
4: the correct answer. All
7: right, all right. All right.
4: all right. Next up. He just
7: agreed with me. Let's agree on that. Next up. Okay. <laughs> is
4: classic Roseanne.
7: Classic Roseanne.
4: If it, you want to get caught up before getting caught up on the revival, where can you
9: find it? Uh, I'm going to go with Netflix.
4: I would agree. It has been on Netflix, you wouldn't be wrong, but right now, it's Amazon
7: Prime. Oh, really? That is surprising. It's really surprising. All Hmm.
4: right, Jacob is our comic book expert, and so I thought I'd dig a comic book television show out for him. If you want to see CW's The Flash, or CW's Arrow, or CW's Legends of Tomorrow, or any of the CW superheroes, what streaming service do you go to? Netflix. Netflix. Absolutely, Netflix. And two more points, one for each of you. But, like we said, that's only for a little bit longer, right? Right. Next, one of my personal favorite television shows of all time. Just one season available, because there only was one. Firefly. Where do you find it?
7: That one you'll find on Hulu. I'm going to say Netflix.
4: It has been on Netflix. You wouldn't be wrong. Except that right now... It's off Netflix and only on Hulu. <laughs> yeah. It was part of a large mass migration of Fox shows. It was—I know it's on Fox because I remember so vividly Fox canceling it. But it was on Fox, and many Fox shows got the boot from Netflix to go to exclusively Hulu.
7: Is there anything wrong with me if I still haven't seen that show? Absolutely. Yes. Hmm. All right. I, that was rhetorical, but so now Jeff I know how has you feel.
4: three. Jacob has two. Yes. Here's our final one worth two points. <laughs> Where do you find Star Trek the Next Generation?
7: Oh, um, mm, I know this. But I'm gonna let Jacob answer. Oh. Because I don't think he
9: knows. Ooh. I'm gonna guess Netflix.
7: I am going to guess Hulu. Although I do know it is on like the CBS All Access app. Can I go with CBS All Access? You can. You can also
4: keep your original answer or you could say literally any of the streaming services <gasps> because Star Trek The Next Generation is on Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, CBS All Access, all of them.
7: Woo! What a
4: great way to end it.
7: We were all right. Everyone wins. We all get a trophy. We all get a blue ribbon. Thank you, Cole. (laughs)
4: But if you want to watch the newest Star Trek Discovery, then you have to go to CBS
7: All Access. Aha. So speaking of CBS All Access, that is kind of an exclusive streaming service out there. You've got to pay, I think it's like five bucks a month to access all the content. They do have original programming on there, and then you can access all the old CBS shows, uh, pretty much that ever were. Well, not pretty much that ever were, but you get a lot of them and there are going to be some streaming services coming out that are going to be a little more exclusive and uh we've invited Jacob here today to talk about a couple of those first i do want to mention the fact that voodoo will be coming out with at some point a streaming service and this is i don't want to say it's hearsay but they've all but announced it uh voodoo is owned by walmart and they're wow. going to come out with a subscription-based streaming service. Currently, you can rent, uh, you can rent or own movies and TV shows on Vudu. A lot of times, when you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, you can um, download the Vudu copy of it, and that wow. will give you the digital copy of it. So, currently, that's all that they offer. But coming, they're really toying with the idea of having a subscription-based service and the other two that we want jacob to talk about give us a little more insight are the uh, disney app and the dc app which jacob has already
9: signed on for that's right i guess i'll talk about disney first i mean disney disney app is it's it's hard to give a lot of details because disney really hasn't announced a lot of stuff yet the only thing we know for sure is that it's not going to uh release until probably late next year um and one of the reasons why they're doing that is because they still are under contract a lot of their content with Netflix, and so once that once that contract ends um, next year, then they can start pulling up their their own content and start creating some original shows to launch on that streaming service that won't be on television. Um, so uh, they'll be they'll be putting on you know almost their entire back catalog of. Uh, animated films some of their older live action films or hopefully all of them will be on there so have, uh, Marvel... they,
4: have they officially announced that they're opening the vault the whole way up like is are we getting all the old disney animated classics or do we know well, you, have
9: to, you have to wonder why people would want to fork out you know money every month to not have access to their full catalog i mean that just doesn't seem like uh to have a rotating what would be the point of having a rotating catalog except to try to milk people for more money to go out and buy the DVDs anyways, in which case, what would be the point of paying a monthly fee? It just doesn't make sense. So, no, we don't know for sure that they'll have the entire vault open, but you would you would have to assume that they're going to try to attract people to their service by doing that.
4: We hope. Yeah, I, I hope too. I agree.
9: They've announced uh, a live-action T- uh, Star Wars TV show directed by Jon Favreau. Uh, they've got two uh, animated Star Wars cartoons. Clone Wars will be resurrected on that. And then also Cl- Star Wars Resistance will be on there. Um, but I think Star Wars Resistance will be airing first on their Disney channel. Um, they're also talked about new Marvel TV series. Um, all the Marvel catalog will be on there. Um, and then they've talked about live-action movies, like remakes that they'll be putting on there, like Three Men and the Baby, Sword in the Stone, Lady in the Tramp um, – they're doing a remake of Three Men and a Baby. That's what I. That's what they're talking about. Yes, oh, that's it's, a, ho- it's a
7: horrible really? idea. Leave it alone.
9: You know, <laughs> I can't. I can't say that. Uh, you know, who knows? With Disney and their remakes, sometimes they're really good, and sometimes you don't know why they did them. So they're even talking about another remake of Parent Trap. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't I know how think... Lindsay Lohan feels about that, but.
7: There have already been so many remakes of that already. Um, I would assume, though, you mentioned Marvel. I would assume they're not going to show the R rated Marvel movies.
9: No, there will be no R rated content on the Disney uh, streaming service. All of their R rated content will be going to Hulu, which they own most of. They own most of Hulu.
7: Ah, yeah, once this deal goes through, I think they'll own about 60%. So could we see films like Logan or uh, Deadpool on
9: Hulu? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine, but it's probably – more likely than not that those that's what that's what they where they will be.
4: And hmm. from a Marvel nerdy standpoint, those would already be headed for Hulu because that's the 21st century Fox arm of Marvel. True, those, those were both X Men kind of movies. Whereas yes. Disney Disney Marvel has not put out an R rated thing yet.
9: That's correct.
7: Yep. Now speaking of R rated things, I think a lot of eyebrows were raised at Comic Con recently when an original. Series trailer was shown to audiences. A a series that is going to air on the new DC service. It's, uh, I believe, is it called Titans? And why? Why did it raise a lot of eyebrows, Jacob?
9: Well, I mean, so for those who don't know what Titans is, it's basically there's a group called the Teen Titans, which is a lot of the sidekicks of the major superheroes. Um, And uh, Robin is one of the main characters of that. And in this. In this uh, trailer, he says a very derogatory comment about Batman, which we will not repeat. But you could tell immediately that DC is not going for the kid market with their new uh, with their new service. They're going for the adults and the older teenagers who want more mature content.
7: And I'm I'm a little uh, worried about that. I'm worried that parents might be a little confused as to which version of Titans they're getting. And hopefully, little Timmy's not put in front of the TV watching Robin say those naughty words,
4: especially when teen Titans go to the movies just happened. And that's as kid friendly as DC has ever been.
9: That's true. <laughs> um, I would assume, and I'm not, I don't have no idea if this is accurate and we won't know more until it launches uh, in the next few weeks, but um, I'm going to guess that there's probably gonna be content controls that parents can use um, with, with it, like with most services I mean, I am sure they'll have TV ratings and you said DC, the
7: DC service is coming out before the Disney service, right?
9: Yeah. Almost a year before. So DC is getting a leg up on the pile with this and it's only going to cost. If you sign up before it launches, it's $75 for 15 months. So that's $5 a month. Um, and I think it'll regularly be six or se- seven or $8 a month, something like that. Uh, once, once the, the initial offer ends, um, and that is, that, is, that is kind of a high price for a lack of content. Um, it really is geared toward hardcore DC fans. I mean, all of their content will be based in the DC universe. They'll have their backlog of animated films, which is not insignificant. They've got 20 or 30 uh, animated films in their backlog. They'll be pulling in a lot of their old TV series like the original Wonder Woman, the original Flash, um, the original Superman films. I'm sure they're going to be putting their WB films on there as well, like the the DC um, Extended Universe or whatever they call themselves now. They'll have access to thousands of comic books that you can read on your television, which is actually a really really cool thing for people who are big comic book readers to be able to read them on your television in high definition. Is a, this isn't a just awesome
4: a TV thing. and movie thing? Yeah, they're giving That's comic intriguing. book access as well. Yeah,
9: they've also got yeah they've got uh, you'll be able to participate in forums with content creators like DC artists. You'll, they'll have a daily news show that will be discussing DC news. Um, there will be like – you'll be able to get discounts on all their store merchandise. So this so is for, for nerds. Totally, this is it's for nerds. For nerds. <laughs> it's totally for nerds, yes. Now but the Jacob, question is, is, will it be enough? Will there be enough nerds who are supporting this to make it feasible? Because some of their best shows aren't going to launch until next year like Young Justice Season 3, which is a huge cult following. Um, but it doesn't launch until January or February next year
7: what about DC films that are produced by different studios like Warner Brothers? Will we get to see the Batman movies? Will we get to see the Lego Batman movie on this DC service?
9: That's a great question. I'm not sure, but I do know that, I mean, you have to remember that WB owns DC. So Ah. I don't, I don't think there's any reason for them to not want it to succeed. So I I would assume they're going to, they're slowly buying back access to their content, kind of like what Disney's doing right now. Um, the CW shows, I don't think they'll be initially available on the service yet, but I know that DC is working with with them to you know, with working with Netflix or Hulu, whoever has those rights to get them back to and so like like, like Cole said, Netflix is slowly being stripped of its of its non original content, um, for better or for worse, you know, that's that's the way things are going. It's almost like it almost feels like we're going backwards as far as like people are having paying more and more to get all these different shows that they want to watch. You know, instead of uh, instead of getting it all on one service. There's no more one-stop ah, shop.
7: So now I know why why Jacob was fine choosing Netflix because he's covered either way. He's already signed up for the services where a lot of these movies are going. That's right. That's you right. sneaky guy, you. Well, Jacob, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning today. As always, we love having you on the show. And uh, I won't make Cole read back the scores of the contest because I think we all know <laughs> who won that. But uh, at Jay, his name is Jacob Gowans. He's been our guest on the show before, and today we've been talking about streaming services. If you only could choose one, which one would it be? And Jacob Gowans is an expert on DC, he's an expert on Marvel, and he is also a young adult author. You should check out some of his books. So hopefully today here on the program, we've armed you with enough information so that the next time you pull out that budget and you realize, you know what, we're paying way too much for these different streaming services and and live TV services, we need to pare down to just one. Hopefully we've given you enough so that you can make that decision and you can save all that money and feel good about yourself. This is Screen Cleaning. When we return, we're going to give you our panning for good segment and talk about some of the free Streaming options that you have at your disposal when we return. There's good in them, Dare Hill. <laughs> Welcome back to Screening. That is the sound of our panning for good segment, which we do each and every show. And today we've talked so much about streaming services. It's just so overwhelming that how can you possibly choose one, right? Well, hopefully after we've given you some ideas and have done a breakdown of each one, you'll know if you had to make a choice, you could choose one that you could be loyal to and get rid of all the others. However, There is hope if you uh, can't choose just one, but you don't have the money for more than one, because there are several streaming services out there that offer free content, right? How exciting is that? So you have Vudu. This is the service that you can either rent movies or you can buy movies, but there's also free with ads on there. That's how I rewatched Teen Wolf recently, there's also Crackle, which has been around for a while. I don't think their selection is as broad as it used to be, but Crackle actually also um, still creates original content. So that's another option for you. And then there's something that's really interesting and weird that you've got to check out called Pluto TV. And I, I guess I shouldn't say it's weird, but basically, you can, it's like watching cable, so you have to catch these shows in already in progress and they're really different channels so you have like an old classics channel you've got a mystery science theater 3000 channel you've got a rift tracks which is an offshoot of mystery science theater 3000 you have a comedy channel so a lot of these shows are shows that you might not watch normally but you know if you're if you're just looking for some time to kill and you're doing something else it's not a bad option and like i said it's free so that's our panning for good segment for today this this uh show we want to end the episode with another newish, well, it's definitely not newish, it's new segment tentatively called Mickey's Mantle. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? I do, yeah. Okay, so these are movies that you might find on Mickey's Mantle.
8: Wondering what to watch tonight? You're in luck. The American Film Institute has got you covered. From their list of 100 Greatest American Movies, here's a classic movie you can watch with your family tonight. What a glorious feeling. It's time to watch Singing in the Rain with your family. It's the story of a Hollywood superstar named Don who's got to keep up with the changing times. Technology has made it possible for recorded sound to accompany a moving picture and audiences are demanding it. If Don wants to keep his job, he better get with the picture. Don also wants to date a young chorus girl. But according to the tabloids, he's supposed to be dating superstar Lena Lockwood, even though he can't stand her in real life. Will Don's talking movies become a success? Will he get the right girl? If you're not too busy with the plot, watch for the famous scene where Gene Kelly sings "Singin' in the Rain. On the day of filming, he had a high fever and no rehearsal time. The director wanted to send him home, but instead, Gene improvised the majority of the scene and did it in just one take. So, does Singing in the Rain belong on the list of 100 greatest films? Or should it be kept on mute, like one of those old silent movies? You'll just have to watch and find out.
7: I love it, Mickey. And I love Singing in the Rain, too. What a great pick. So, uh... We're going to have to see what other movies you have in mind for us as we continue on with screen cleaning.
8: Yeah, I'm excited to share with you guys.
7: So it's tentatively called Mickey's Mantle, movies that you'd find on Mickey's Mantle. And uh, I also like baseball, too. So Cole is warming up to the idea of calling it Mickey's Mantle.
4: Spend enough time with Jeff, <laughs> you'll love puns as
7: well. That's right. I I grow on you. Hopefully like a good fungus. Is there such a thing? Of course there is, right? I get mushrooms on my pizza. It's There you go. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Join us next week when we bring you more of the best in entertainment.